Welcome to the Political Economy Podcast. I'm your host, Jim Pethokoukas of the American Enterprise Institute. Each week, I feature a lively conversation with experts on some of the most important economic and policy questions of our time. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider rating and reviewing it on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or Stitcher. Ratings and reviews really help with the podcast visibility, and I always appreciate the feedback. Thanks, and on to the show. Today, I'm discussing immigration policy with Michael Clemens. Michael is a senior fellow and the director of Migration, Displacement, and Humanitarian Policy at the Center for Global Development, where he studies the economic effects of migration around the world. He's also a research fellow at the IZA Institute of Labor Economics. Michael, welcome to the podcast. Thanks a lot. How would you describe sort of the mainstream economic position on immigration? To the extent that the average person might think about this, I believe they would say, well, you guys just want to throw open the borders and let everybody just kind of go wherever they want to go. And that's, that's what economists want. So what, 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 do, what do economists generally think about uh, immigration? Well, it's interesting that people talk about common sense with regard to immigration a lot. Uh, Stephen Miller uses that phrase, Jeff Sessions, uh, many others. And the, the common sense is that uh, immigrants are workers. When there's more workers selling labor, the price of labor, which is wages, is going to go down. And that, that that's not just a mainstream view in in society in America. It's it's also a mainstream view in the profession. Uh, not not a lot of uh, of economists, although a, a, a growing number of them, uh, question that view. And this is fundamentally the view that uh, uh, an immigrant is a is a factor of production, is a unit of labor. And when there's more labor, the the additional amount of revenue that a firm can get from employing more labor, the marginal revenue product uh, goes down, and uh, and and there's a downward pressure on wages. Uh, we all know that's not true. Uh, both the economists and anybody who's not an economist, just thinking about what what they uh, do in an economy, how they inter- interact with the economy, they, they don't just sell their labor. They they buy the produce of other people's labor. They invest in stuff, financial capital, their own human capital. Uh, they uh, they they innovate. Some of us start firms. Uh, so uh, clearly, that's uh, that. Like all models, it, it could be uh, it could be oversimplified, but it's it's not. I, I don't think it's a helpful uh, view of, uh, of, uh, of of the economic effects of, of immigrants. And, and to me, the common sense is that is that. Uh, excluding immigrants from from an economy is going to have a whole lot of effects. Uh, some of them would tend to to raise wages. Some of them would tend to reduce them. You've described reducing barriers to migration as trillion dollar bills on the sidewalk because workers become so much more productive when they move from a poor country to a richer one. But to a lot of people, this sounds like an excuse to bring people into the United States at the expense of those who are already here. So if you're not an immigrant or someone who's hiring an immigrant, what does immigration do for you to help your life? Well, let's be clear about what, what the economy is. Uh, we're not sitting here and I'm taking a job away from you and you're taking a job away from me. All of us give each other jobs by interacting with each other and specializing in different stuff. Uh, that's why, even though uh, female labor force participation over the last century has gone from something like 15% to to something like two-thirds, there aren't fewer jobs for men because that happened. Uh, women specialize in different things. Men, women complement men in the workforce. Women start businesses. Women come up with new ideas that that some men might never have thought of, and vice versa. 
and and we all benefit each other. And immigrants are not some sort of species from another planet. Forty three percent of Americans have a at least one immigrant grandparent or more, according to Gallup. So that we that's that's all of us. That's we we are a bunch of immigrants and descendants of immigrants interacting with each other in an economy. And to to say that that somehow only benefits the owners of capital or firm owners is something that uh, that I, I I find really strange. Notably, when women were first entering the labor force, people said exactly this: that oh yeah, you you people who are working on women's empowerment, uh, you're, you're you're really just chills for the firms who just want cheap women to fill up their factories. And uh, uh, that you find the same sort of things being said about immigrants today uh, is, shouldn't be surprising, but, uh, but it doesn't stand up to scrutiny. I think people can see the benefits of letting Nobel Prize winners come to America. But what's the benefit of bringing in people who haven't graduated from college or maybe even high school? What does that do for us? Well, they're they're less visible, uh, but they are all around us. Uh, every single person who has a college degree, a, a PhD, those, those scientists you're talking about, they depend on a vast army every hour of every day of people at all levels of education doing all kinds of tasks. The the idea that you know we only need Silicon Valley engineers or something like that. Uh, just ignores the fact that if you walk through Silicon Valley, you'll see an economy that runs on childcare, on construction work, on security, on warehousing, on uh, on on farm work, uh, hand harvesting the the vegetables that that some of uh, those immigrant computer scientists are, are having in their salad. That that's what the economy of Silicon Valley is, and that's what the economy of America is. It's people at all different skill levels doing complementary tasks. Uh, benefiting each other and giving each other jobs, and uh, that's uh, that's that's the common sense we should work with. And if, if you if you just think about where the where the stuff in the grocery store comes from, uh, who uh, who paved the road that you're driving down to get to what, whatever job you're doing, to setting aside the, the the person running the firm you're working at or the workers alongside you, uh, the, the economy is just spectacularly more complex than than the than the visual uh, superstars that, that we that we see, like a Sergey Brin. Now, I I know when I when I make that kind of argument on uh, on, on Twitter, uh, for instance, and and perhaps you're already rolling your eyes at my mention of Twitter and Twitter <laughs> arguments, but they'll say, well, hey, uh, you know, if we if we didn't uh, if we didn't allow in all this low skill immigration. I don't know, maybe you know maybe a lot of that farm work would already be done by uh, by, by machines that were preventing sort of uh, you know technological advance that would ultimately be better for everybody, but but instead we're replacing potential capital machines with low skill labor. I, I but that 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 argument starts out from the idea that that somehow uh, having everything done by machines is better than having it done by by people, and I I, I don't accept that argument. Why is why are we would we all be better off if uh, if uh, if uh, if every grocery store checker were replaced with a machine, if if every nurse's assistant were replaced with a with a robot that doles out pills, uh, that 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 is. Uh, the, the idea that somehow that is 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 the starting point, and and that we should we should we should pursue that goal to exclude as many immigrants as possible is something that comes before economic reasoning. Uh, well, well, perhaps there's some cultural reasoning in there then. Perhaps that some of those people are also are making the subtext 
is a is, a, is also perhaps a cultural uh, argument that they just that some of those people think that's you know that that kind that, that kind of cultural impact is bad for America. Absolutely, and there's a very long history of that in America. Uh, you can you can read the the bipartisan congressional debates that ended up with 83 years of Chinese exclusion in this country, starting in 1883 and not definitively removed until 1965. Excuse me, in 1882 to 1965, uh, and and the the justification started out as a labor market one. Look, we we just had the long depression, uh, a, a, a six year depression that was the longest in, in U.S. history. There's a lot of unemployment, and we're we're worried about the potential for new inflows of Chinese people. But what we're really worried about is that. Uh, in, in their words, the, 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 these people are not going to integrate with American society. They don't believe in democracy. They, they, they have some propensity to bring diseases from over there in China. And, uh, you know, even economists of the time, Henry George was the leading economist in America at that time, came out strongly in favor of, uh, of, of Chinese exclusion on, on a wage argument, but also mostly on, on cultural and institutional ones. And, uh, I think in, in retrospect, we can see that those things were vastly, not only vastly overblown, but uh, but uh, in, in, in part a consequence of the very policies that people like Henry George uh, advocated in that you can see some of those senators and congressmen at the time saying, look, these Chinese people aren't interested in American citizenship. They're not interested in education. All they're coming to, to do is, is work in the, in the, the, the meanest possible conditions dri driving down wages. And, you know, at the time that they were talking, uh, Chinese people, ethnically Chinese people of any national origin were banned from acquiring U.S. citizenship. Uh, that was true from 1871 till 1943. So com complaining about, <laughs> about folks not wanting to integrate or make long-term investments in a society when you've told them they can't, they categorically can't do that is, uh, is, uh, is, a, is a dog chasing its tail. Is there a problem with immigrants assimilating? Restrictions will argue that 100 years ago, immigrants assimilated just fine. I mean, they had to. Uh, it's much easier today to go back to the home country in an airplane than to go back to the home country, you know, in 1900. But people coming into this country don't really need to assimilate in many cases. Are we not doing a good job of turning immigrants into Americans? So th this, you do hear this a lot. Uh, uh, what I know is that some of the the best researchers in the world have taken a very serious look at this question. Uh, Rana Bramitsky and Leah Bustan are two that come to mind. Uh, and it's always difficult to measure, well, what do you mean by integration? What they do is is use, uh, is use uh, uh, census data to track the degree to which uh, uh, descendants of immigrants start to have more and more American names. Like I'm, I'm talking about uh, 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 Jewish immigrants from Eastern Europe in 1910. Uh, some of them name their their son Shlomo. Uh, some of them name their son John, and uh, and this is a uh, is is uh, is a pretty reasonable proxy for the degree to which they're feeling American uh, and 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 losing the cultural identity that uh, that came with them in in the suitcase. And remarkably, they they have studied this phenomenon both in recent waves of of immigrants and uh, and a hundred years ago. And the rate at which people uh, do that to give um, American-sounding names to their kids uh, hasn't changed over time. Uh, the the people seem to say, well, we used to be a melting pot, and that's all gone now. There's not a lot of evidence of that. And as for other measures of integration, like economic ones, when people look at census data, which include people who uh, are uh, are foreign born but authorized, people who are foreign born but not authorized, 
and then say, well, uh, look, uh, there, it seems to be a, a very slow process of, of wage assimilation for people at similar uh, levels of, of education, for example. Well, the, the sample that you're looking at includes people who are, who are barred from assimilating by law. <laughs> So here again, uh, we're, 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 this, uh, this is kind of circular reasoning. We, we, we shouldn't be admitting immigrants because people aren't assimilating, part of which is due to the very barriers against immigrants, is not a, is not a, is not a careful way to think about the problem. How has the argument against immigration evolved over the past few years? It seems like it used to focus entirely on illegal immigrants or undocumented immigrants, but now it seems like restrictions against almost all immigration, whether it's you know, middle skill, high skill, whether it's foreign students coming to America, they're against all of it. Is this me or have you noticed this change as well? I, I think the, uh, I mean, the, the discussion of, of, of lawful versus unlawful migration has been an important one recently. Uh, I, I think underlying it is a, is a much more fundamental uh, concern about migration itself. Regardless of status, because if you if you take a a a, a, a person who has uh, quite reasonable concerns, I think about about large scale uh, unlawful migration, and and ask them, well, how about how about legalizing it all? How, how about uh, giving out that number of visas per year to the people from that country? Most of them would say, well, hold on, now I'm I'm not sure about that. So really, uh, I mean, th there's a concern about lawbreaking itself, which is which is very very important. But underlying it is is fundamentally a concern about about well, what happens when people come in, and it's just uh, I think it's really unfortunate that the discussion is driven by anecdotes. Uh, yes, there are there are obvious anecdotes of of firms hiring H-1B workers uh, who are then trained by the 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 uh, U.S. workers that they're replacing. Um, I think it's important to base policy on systematic evidence. And uh, a, a group of economists uh, that includes Ana Maria Maida, who's a brilliant uh, uh, economist of immigration and many other things at, at Georgetown University, studied this with a, a brilliant research design. And basically, they used the the H-1B visa lotteries that have occurred in some years, but not others. Uh, in, in recent history, there have been years where the, the H-1B quota was not binding, uh, and then years where it suddenly became binding and they held a lottery and lots of firms that in the other years would have gotten H-1B visas to hire workers uh, didn't. And in those firms where this, the, the quota suddenly became binding, they can track well, what happens to, to firms that otherwise would have gotten a worker and, uh, and, and firms that, that don't. And the answer is that for every uh, for every one H-1B worker they lose, firms on average uh, hire 2.3 fewer U.S. workers. So that's 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 the systematic evidence across all firms. And as as always in these cases, that's the average effect. And you can find anecdotes to any effect on any side that you want to uh, emphasize. Uh, but uh, but the, the systematic evidence is, is where it's at for, for rational policy formation. Uh, speaking of systematic evidence for rational policy formation, what is the systematic evidence at this time about the effects of immigration on low-skill worker wages? Sometimes it seems like it is a, a dueling contest of studies uh, that reach opposite conclusions, but what is sort of your best take uh, of the evidence about the impact 
uh, of immigration on low-skilled wages. That, that, that seems to be a big part of the, the, the public debate. Absolutely. And the academic debate, too. Uh, in, in 2017, the National Academy of Sciences brought together this blue ribbon and a diverse uh, a commission of, of some of the best economists who study migration, and they disagreed very strongly about uh, exactly this question. So it's it's not settled. Uh, the, the, I, I'd highlight two recent studies that are that are extremely important. One that just came out studies the, the, the flood of Puerto Ricans into the United States after Hurricane Maria. Uh, in 2017, I think most folks will remember what Puerto Rico went through not long ago. And, and Puerto Ricans have, of, of course, are U.S. citizens and can migrate whenever they they want, and are, are also uh, 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 they they are also uh, they also tend to go to to when they move to the U.S. to certain parts of the U.S. much more than others. And the, what the study uses, it's by Giovanni Petty and two co-authors. Uh, it came out, I think, a month ago. Uh, what the study uses is that is the the fact that there was a big pre-existing community of Puerto Ricans in Orlando, Florida, and that caused a, a very large share of the people fleeing Hurricane Maria to show up there and not in other parts of Florida, and certainly not in other parts of the the uh, the country to the same extent. So you can find lots and lots of extremely similar cities that didn't uh, uh, suddenly have their their labor force go up by two percent uh, in the course of a month or two due to this influx. And they find all, all kinds of, uh, of, uh, of different impacts on different parts of the economy. Uh, a, a, lot more, uh, a lot more labor in construction uh, seems to have driven down construction wages a lot. Uh, a lot more demand for retail services and hospitality services seems to have driven up wages in, in those sectors. And the average effect at all skill levels is, is, is nothing in the short term. That is, in, as, as we talked about it at the beginning of, the, of this podcast, uh, Puerto Ricans coming into Orlando are other people in the, in the Orlando economy, and they, they, uh, they shift the economy to some degree. Uh, they shift la labor markets away from, from, from sectors where they might be concentrating. They shift demand for the labor of other people towards, towards goods and services that they might be using, but they, they, they don't harm uh, the, the economy overall, and there's no sign uh, that that, uh, that they have a, a deleterious effect on on even the low-skilled workers, because they they too are participating in a in a very very complex system that is not uh, driven in one direction or another. Um, I, I said I'd, I'd discuss another one, but I, I think I'm going on too long. <laughs> uh, well, um, uh, well, you should send me. You should send. Me, uh, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna move along at your urging. Uh, but just very briefly, what is that other study? Uh, there's a study in the quarterly we love, we journal. We love studies on this podcast. We love them. Yes, of course. Uh, Christian Dustman is, is one of the, the world leaders of, of, uh, of immigration research at the moment. He has a paper in the quarterly journal of economics, which is an extremely highly selective journal. Only the best research gets in there. And he, he studies uh, a, a change in German policy that let people living in the Czech Republic cross the border to work near the border, uh, but not actually live in Germany. So big increase in labor supply of Czech workers in a, in, a, in a specific part of Germany with lots of areas that, that weren't affected that you could compare to uh, and, and, and finds a, 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 a important effects on negative effects on German employment. What's, what's notable to me about that and a huge difference with this Puerto Rico Orlando study that we just mentioned is that these are people who, who are who are banned from actually uh, living in Germany. Uh, uh, so, so a lot of the things that they could do, like drive up the demand for housing, uh, drive up the demand for local goods and services to, to, uh, 
to uh, that that would that would that would certainly offset the the pure labor market effects, uh, and and whose forces are present in Orlando when Puerto Ricans go show up there and participate fully in the economy, including in housing and goods and services. Those aren't there, so uh, that that's great for an academic study that wants to isolate the pure effect of of, of labor supply. But again, as we talked about at the beginning, that, that's that's not what people are. That's not what Puerto Ricans are when they show up in Orlando. That's not what 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 all U.S. immigrants are. Uh, they're they're also consumers. They're also investors. They're also innovators, and uh, and uh, a, a a refined academic study like, like Christian Dussman's is is absolutely superb in, in academic terms. But you, you see anti-immigrant groups cite this as uh, well. Here now we have in the Quarterly Journal of Economics evidence that immigration drives down wages and has nothing to do with it. The, the point of the study, and, and it says so. I mean, if you read it, they, they, they go on at length about the fact that this, there, here are several reasons why this doesn't represent immigration in general. Immigration restrictions will say that if you look at the polls about how many people would love to live in America, you can see that opening the border would just flood America with way more immigrants than we could ever handle. And America, as we know, it would be over. Why is this argument wrong if you think it's wrong? Would everybody come here if they could? Uh, absolutely not. Uh, so, I mean, a, a, an example that is often uh, discussed is is uh, Puerto Rico, uh, with with which we had open borders and a, a very very large uh, initial economic gap uh, for over a hundred years now, and th there's been substantial migration of Puerto Rico from Puerto Rico, but certainly not a depopulation of Puerto Rico uh, of, of any kind. Uh, there's a uh, uh, other examples we have are uh, Micronesia. We have de facto open border with Micronesia. It was a quid pro quo, basically, for putting um, a military base there. They, they were giving uh, uh, unlimited uh, 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 ability to legally uh, move to work in the U.S. A lot of them go to Hawaii, uh, and uh, uh, a, a moderate percentage of Micronesians. Micronesia is, is a relatively poor country. Uh, left uh, the vast majority of them didn't. So this is this is it's a great scare tactic. Uh, it was definitely used in the in the Chinese exclusion debates uh, of the 1870s, 1880s, when people would frequently refer to the hundreds of millions of Chinese people and and how how desperately poor they they are, and at the first chance they'd all come to America and we'd be we'd be wiped out. And the same. Uh, the same hydraulic metaphors of, of of floods and tides and dams and dikes and uh, are are just uh, they they don't they don't change one bit over time. There's just never been any actual evidence of it, and really I, I think it's just vastly more constructive to to focus uh, as as economists would on 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 marginal analysis, not to engage in a big central planning exercise of well let's sit down and calculate what would be the 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 efficient thing to do. Should the U.S. Uh, can a bureaucrat in, in D.C. sit down and say, "Well, it'd be it'd be better for the U.S. if we had 20% foreign-born or 30% foreign-born, like uh, like Australia or Canada? They seem to be doing fine. Why don't we why don't we plan that out?" Uh, I, I don't think anybody can know that. I mean, we aren't Australia and Canada. Uh, economic conditions in in the future could differ in unknown ways from how they they uh, they are right now. I I don't think. Uh, I don't think anybody can sit down and say, "Well, the best thing is absolutely open borders," or "The best thing is, uh, is, uh, is that we that we go back to the foreign-born percentage of the 1950s when when uh, when America was was supposedly great." Uh, what uh, focusing on marginal analysis means looking at the the, the next group of uh, of immigrants. Do we have a sign that they are 
that they are uh, uh, creating more businesses than natives. Well, yes, that's the that's the evidence, and all all, all sizes of businesses, not just small and low wage firms, but uh, but big firms too, generating lots and lots of employment for natives. That's the the situation. Uh, right now for the most recent immigrants, and that's what we can expect at the margin for the next group. Uh, are they uh, committing crimes at high rates now uh, as we see them right now? Uh, no, immigrants have lower crime rates than natives for all kinds of crime across the board. Uh, are they depleting the fiscus? Uh, no, the National Academy of Sciences report that I just mentioned uh, calculates that for recent U.S. immigration of the skill mix and the age mix that has recently come, uh, if you calculate the, the the net present value of the the taxes they expect they them and their first generation of descendants to pay, minus the benefits that they expect them and their first generation to to pay, the the balance is positive two hundred and fifty thousand dollars net present value per immigrant. Uh, so that's that's where we are at the margin. And that suggests that there's a big opportunity for more uh, from where we stand uh, uh, right now. I'm talking in the broadest terms, not uh, not uh, you know in December uh, right. of, of this year, but uh, but in the in the in the sweep of history. That certainly the administration's policies over the last four years have not been some sort of crisis measure. They they began long before the crisis. They 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 have been targeting the. The, the, the sweep of the next 10 or 20 years of immigration. That's what I'm talking about. And the evidence is very clear that at the margin, there is a big opportunity for the country in having some more. And, uh, and, and I think that's just drastically more fruitful than, than, uh, than a central planning exercise of, of uh, we should have infinitely many or we should have 50% foreign born or, or, or any other number you should come up with. But would you, but that more, would you, would you want that more to be different in some way? What what would be what would sort of be the policy recommendation for U.S. immigration law as you see it? Uh, or are you saying you know uh, status quo or return to the pre-Trump status quo? Or, or are you actually? But are you arguing for some changes or reforms in U.S. immigration policy? What's incredibly clear is that we we need a, a work visa. Uh, as a substantial work visa for work that is that does not require a college degree, but is also not seasonal. Um, there's there's no such work visa. Uh, if you uh, are a, a dairy farmer that depends uh, absolutely and heavily on on migrant labor, and this is a substantial part of the dairy industry making that milk that our kids are drinking. Uh, th there is no visa for your workers because the the, the whole dairy industry. Well, almost the entire dairy industry is not considered seasonal work. So there is no, and, and almost none of the work requires a college degree. So uh, unsurprisingly, that is an industry that is heavily dependent on unauthorized labor. And that's a, that's a tremendous uh, uh, problem that's been recognized for a long time. In, in 2006 and 2007, there was a serious attempt uh, led by, uh, by, by John McCain and Lindsey Graham among others to rectify that situation, they proposed a W visa. Uh, it, it passed the Senate. Uh, it, it didn't quite get the support to to become law, but that's something that that would just that's an opportunity to make uh, Americans and immigrants better off working together, uh, no doubt about it. As well as I might add, uh, 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 devastate uh, unauthorized migration and promote the rule of law. But uh, but we couldn't quite get there. Would you do anything to make it e either easier for 
high school Im immigrants to come here or students to stay here? Or is that system already in pretty good shape? Oh, it's in terrible shape. My goodness. I, uh, 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 if, uh, if folks think it's easy for high skill uh, uh, students from all over the world to stay here and uh, and contribute to the American economy and start businesses uh, and, uh, and 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 create ideas and, and technologies and employment for Americans, they they must not have hung out with too many because it's it's incredibly difficult. It's it's a challenge at all times. It's years and years of uncertainty. It's uh, it means uh, for many of them, it means being tied to a single employer because uh, if they were to change employers, it would mess up their green card application and have them start all over again. For for some of them uh, that I've known personally, it means being years without a promotion while other workers get promoted, and thus their talents are being vastly underutilized because even changing your job title would require you to start the green card application over again. Just uh, tons and tons of bureaucracy that have been set up for purely political reasons without without any sort of economic check on on uh, on uh, on the real impacts on 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 firms and otherwise Th think about that that uh, that uh, astonishing calculation from the the work of Ana Maria Maida et al that I mentioned before uh, uh, losing an h1b worker for purely administrative reasons no no economic criterion there it was just well, this year, the, the quota that is baked into law is binding, so you're not going to be able to hire a worker. That deprived of employment 2.3 US workers, uh, most of them in the tech industry, for every one person who was not able to be employed for that reason. And, and did that consideration go into the, the numbers that were, that were carved in stone in the law years and years ago? No, it was a, it was a purely political decision. Um, no economic analysis uh, behind it. Uh, no economic analysis of the uh, at all uh, released publicly of the of the expected economic effects of uh, shutting down essentially all H-1B uh, uh, visas earlier this year, which which is certainly going to to harm employment of Americans of all skill levels for the reasons I just mentioned. Uh, just just a really sad state of affairs. Lots of opportunities. Uh, thrown away lots of lots of opportunities for employment of Americans, uh, college graduates, and not uh, by, by policy, just completely uninformed by economic analysis. As we approach the end here, I just want to run a couple of ideas by you, uh, yes. uh, by you quickly. Uh, what do you think about place-based visas? There's this idea that we should bring people on the condition that they live in specific American cities or states, maybe because you know the, the city is being depopulated or it has economic problems. You often hear that about Detroit. Well, hey, let's just bring a bunch of immigrant immigrants here, but they need to live in Detroit. Um, that that's the condition. What do you think about that idea? I I mean, some economists would call that a politically constrained optimum. That you know, it's the the best you can do under the circumstances. So so uh, so so why not? I mean, sure, there there are there are major benefits and costs to such a, a policy. The benefit is, uh, could it be that that Detroit has needs that that uh, that are not taken in, into account by voters in Oklahoma when they support national policies that prevent Detroit from getting the workers it needs? Absolutely. Uh, it's also highly inefficient to have workers tied to Detroit 
when economic conditions could change, plants could move, uh, new technologies could arise, that mean it'd be much better for them to move to Seattle and suddenly they can't. But if, if that is the way that, uh, that, uh, that local economies can flourish more relative to the alternative of just not having any, then, it, then it's a great idea. And it's, it's also not any kind of radical idea. Uh, Canada, Australia, and other countries have been uh, devolving to, uh, to, to, to provincial level some aspects of, of immigration policy uh, for these reasons for several years. And it's something that's been quite beneficial for them. Uh, yeah, I mean, imagine you, you like markets. I like markets. A lot of my readers like markets. Why don't we just make this a market-based saying we can either, we just, you know, sell off green cards, sell off citizenship to the highest bidder, auctions or auctions or something, make it a pure market-based system. It's uh, uh, so there. There are major uh, uh, there. There's a major efficiency case for that, uh, absolutely. And again, relative to the situation of uh, of of completely artificial constraints um, that are that are cooked up for for po political reasons, it's better. Uh, an example of that is in 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 the bill uh, 2006 and 2007 that never became law that I mentioned earlier. I was talking about that non-seasonal. Uh, uh, work visa for workers without a, a college degree. It, it, the quota was set at 200,000. And I asked somebody who was in the room uh, at the time, uh, where did that number come from? You know, was there some kind of modeling? Was, did somebody uh, do a literature review? No, no, it was uh, a Pew Research estimated that there were about 400,000 uh, unauthorized workers per year arriving across the southern border. Uh, and, uh, and some folks in the room wanted zero. So they met in the middle at two hundred thousand. So that's a, that's a, that's where it came out up with. So you know, a, a market is going to be uh, like all markets is going to be drawing information from the real economy and aggregating it in a way that's just going to vastly improve on on. Uh, here's a number I, I pulled uh, from where the sun don't shine, which seems to be the 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 alternative that we get. However, uh, there I don't think it's difficult to look in U.S. history and find all kinds of, of immigrants that have been visibly, tangibly, uh, unarguably beneficial uh, through the economy and, and in other ways to Americans who, who would have been priced out of that market by, by capital constraints because they, they, they would not have been able to borrow against their, their future earnings. Uh, one that comes to mind is, is Jan Kuhn, uh, who co-founded WhatsApp that, that, I, that I use daily. Uh, and uh, he arrived as a as a refugee who was so poor at one point that he and his mom were on food stamps. Uh, unclear that such a person could have could have uh, could have could have gotten uh, a credit on capital markets to convince uh, people to invest in him and and his uh, his potential, which which was realized. So there there's some drawbacks to a, a purely market system and and maybe moving moving toward a market uh, in uh, in important ways. Uh, uh, rather than uh, than than as 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 you're talking about uh, throwing it all to the market, it could be helpful. Um, also, also very quickly, uh, border security. Your brief thoughts on on that? Do you want border security? I've heard people joke, well, "I don't want border security." Just put a turnstile on the border, so as I know how many people are coming through. What 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 is your just what are your sort of just brief general thoughts about border security and things like e-verify that that sort of thing? Oh my gosh, uh, uh, it's a tough. Uh, one. It's a lot there, but uh, uh, yes, we're running out there, of time. There, there is a lot there. Uh, uh, 
border security is enhanced by by, by lawful migration uh, mechanisms. The, 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 the there's no no one's security is enhanced by by uh, cat and mouse games at the border, by smuggling, by human trafficking, by uh, in Europe uh, people uh, showing up in barely seaworthy rafts uh, all over the southern coast. Uh, and and those that situation exists in part because of, of a of a of a, just an, an abysmal system for regulating economic migration in ways that are mutually beneficial and not completely but absolutely in in part. And uh, I I think that it's absolutely legitimate for for countries to know uh, who's there. Uh, that's an important aspect of law enforcement, terrorism prevention, and what I think to be 100% legitimate actions of the state that I depend on for my security. And what I, what I think some some folks who are all about security uh, could, uh, could 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 consider is that all of those efforts are enhanced when uh, when migration is is safe, orderly, and regular, and that, that's just not going to happen. Uh, without a meaningful consideration of the absolutely vast uh, economic and demographic pressures that are that that create a big opportunity for mutually mutual benefit in migration of that kind, that that it's just not going to go away. Uh, no, no matter how how intense our, our focus uh, purely on security it is, it needs to be complemented right. with uh, with proper economic regulation. And as for E-Verify, uh, I. Uh, uh, if the if the if the point of E-Verify was to improve uh, was to improve uh, employment and and wages for for workers competing with unauthorized workers, you know there 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 are other reasons that you could think of implementing such a system. But if the point was that, uh, uh, Pia Arrhenius and Madeleine Zavodny, uh, two uh, leading economists of, of immigration, uh, have uh, have studied how states. Uh, what what happened to U.S. workers in states that rolled out E-Verify e at different times? So an interesting natural experiment to see well what was the real impact of this on on U.S. workers since that was a big part of the point, and they're not able to detect any effect of it. Now you, you could say that's uh, that's because it's not being implemented sufficiently, uh, and uh, uh, that's always the <laughs> when when folks want to believe something in in the face of evidence, they always say well this wasn't the real test of it, and and it, it's not a definitive test of of whether uh, whether an extremely uh, uh, extremely uh, 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 highly enforced, uh, uh, you might say, draconian e-verify system locked in in every employer in the country, uh, what that would affect would be on on on, uh, on U.S. workers. But the the evidence that we have is not great. Uh, and and finally, are you optimistic or pessimistic about the politics of immigration going forward? Uh, my mentor in undergraduate was this brilliant old anthropologist named Ted Scudder, and he always used to say, Michael, I'm an optimistic pessimist. Uh, I believe that there is a solution. I just don't think we're going to find it. And uh, I, it's, uh, there have been a whole lot of very reasonable folks uh, working on, on immigration in both parties for a very long time. Uh, uh, Ronald Reagan had some... Uh, I think uh, very highly economically beneficial ideas about uh, about temporary workers, uh, about uh, about regularization of irregular migrants in America. Um, 
uh, George Bush and Vicente Fox worked across the border to find a, a much better solution than we've had for relations with, with Mexico. There have certainly been de Democrats uh, that have worked for, for a better solution as well. We haven't gotten very, uh, uh, very far in a very long time. And uh, a lot of our, our political disarray might be the nicest way to, to put it that we've been living through uh, lately. Uh, it comes from that, and I, I think we're we're gonna we're gonna keep uh, we're gonna keep suffering until we find a better solution, a better way to regulate it. Um, Jeremy McInerney, a, a classicist at, at UPenn, wasn't once asked to summarize the the bottom line lesson of all Greek theater in one sentence, and he actually had an answer, and the answer was, "Wisdom only comes through suffering." Uh, and uh, I, uh, that, that's what I expect for immigration law. I, I think we're going to continue to see the, the, the economic and political consequences of how badly we've done at it until, uh, until they get bad enough that we choose another path. My guest today has been Michael Clemens. Michael, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thank you. It's been a pleasure.